It's been a fun weekend, but a challenging one. And I want to tell you, I've got to preach all four this weekend, and this one is really kind of uh, igniting us as we head into the summer season. So will you put your hands together, welcome those who are attending live online right now from different parts of the world. We're glad that you're here. We hope you connect with God. If you turn the volume off, you could actually get online right now to mercyroad.tv or Facebook Live and share this. If you're attending online, share this with your friends. We'd love to get the word out about what God is doing. We're going to continue our five-week teaching series. We're on week four of Verbs. And it's pretty simple. We're studying the book of Proverbs, putting our faith into action, and looking at what it means to live wisely now. And the first week of the series, a little recap, if you remember, we talked about we need to live wisely now. The second week, don't let pride get in the way. The third week, we need community. Didn't uh, Pastor Luke and Ashley, his wife, do an amazing job last weekend? I just wanted to publicly thank them for sharing so openly about some hard stuff on Mother's Day weekend. But this week is kind of taking a full circle to talk about what it means to leave a legacy of wise living. Now, I'm going to tell you, like it's a almost summer weekend, and there's all kinds of college graduations, all kinds of stuff going on, and you all chose to take time aside and to come here to join us today, and I just want to thank you for that. And so as I preach this message that is going to be a bit of a weighty one, I pray that it just lights a fire in your soul, man. That's really kind of the, the heart of it. Uh, if you don't like this one, if it's too much for you this weekend, don't worry. Next week's going to be totally different. As we finish off the teaching series, we're going to have the first ever Worship Pastor Preach-Off is happening next weekend. Pastor Eric Maitland, with the worst case of ADD I have ever seen in my entire life, we are going to give him a microphone for 35 minutes. So pray for next weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, don't miss it. Probably a lot of laughs. So And then the weekend after that, uh, Pastor Davey Blackburn is going to be here sharing his story. Yeah, we're really excited for that, a friend of the church here. So he's going to be coming in and sharing that weekend. And then we're going to kick off a new teaching series, our summer series in June 8th and 9th. And I'll share at the end what that's all about. Just to give you an idea of where we're going. Because this weekend, I want to set the stage for us for the next few months. We announced last August our desire to start four new Mercy Road churches in the next three years, in addition to all the church planting we're doing through Multiply Indiana. And if you're new to our church, you need to know right off the bat, there is something that is slightly different about our church. There are lots of great ways to do church. The most prevalent model that you see today in church is We do a worship service like this, and we get better and better at it. We do biblical relevant teaching. We do passionate worship, and we we grow the congregation on the weekends, and then we get people into small groups during the week so they can find friends and build community, and hopefully they get discipled along the way. And that's a great way to keep people engaged in the life of the church, and you can help fill the seats on the weekend that way, and you can see keep the money coming into the church and all that kind of stuff. Nothing wrong with that model. It's reached a lot of people, but it's only reaching a certain group of people in, uh, you know, in the state of Indiana, at least. We have a little bit of a different way of looking at it. Uh, We believe the the priority for us as a church has to be about discipleship. The problem in the American church is we get people into small groups, but they're never intentionally discipled by anyone, and they never intentionally make disciples of anyone. Is this too much? Because I feel like this is really important for what I'm about to share with you. What that has meant is, for us as a church, we want to see you get engaged, be disciple, and live on mission. 
by going through Rooted together, eventually getting into an outpost or discipleship huddle, growing in your faith, and living on mission in the local community. We've provided resources for outposts to make that impact. We've decentralized the power and authority from a few pastors on staff to the many outpost leaders, now 41 outposts that's over doubled in size in the last six months, making an impact around the state. And so what I'd like to share as I dive into all of this stuff, if we're going to talk about leaving a legacy of wise living, I first want to apply it to our lives as individuals and as families, and then to the life of our church. Now, I had this huge blessing when I was about 22 years old, when I was diagnosed with a hereditary hearing loss issue. And I had surgery on my left ear. I am currently pretty much deaf in my right ear. How many of you already knew that? Yeah, see, not many of you knew that, so I get people all the time, dude, I just always thought you were rude. (laughs) Like, I said hi to you. Like, if you say hi to me over here and I can't see you, I didn't know you said anything. That's just how it is. And so I say it was a blessing because I learned early on that this body is slowly declining. Some of you are well aware that your body is slowly declining. Some of you are like, you know, 18 years old, and you're like, no, not me, baby. I'm in my prime. Just wait. It's going to happen. Some of you, you know, I, I talk to some, you're like 95 and you pop so many vitamin pills. You're like, I'm in the prime of my life, baby. How can I be like you? Because that's not happening for me. And the truth is, we don't know how many days, months, years, decades we get on this planet. We don't know whether we're going to have all the fame and glory we dreamed about in our life. But we get to choose what we do with what we've been given our time, our talents, and our treasures. I want to talk about leaving a legacy of wise living. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Here we go. Proverbs chapter 22. We're going to look at 16 verses. I'm going to be honest. When you read Proverbs, they have all these like pithy sayings. You're like, how do these even make sense together? I'm going to do my best. But I believe in Proverbs 22, even though it doesn't use the word legacy, it's all throughout it. Verse 1 says this. A good name is more desirable than great riches. Now let's stop for just a second. Do you really believe that? I see and say, yeah, yeah. Then great riches? Are you kidding me? Like you could have rolled up here in the Maserati and just had a bad name for yourself. <laughs> All right? By the way, when it says a good name, it doesn't mean like, oh, your name's Sally. That's a good name. Bob, bad name. No, it's talking about your reputation. What I'm going to say, your legacy, what people, when they think about your life and you think about your life, what is it we all think of? It says that that, that legacy, that good name is more desirable than great riches to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. Whether you have or you have not, the Lord has made us. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going And pay the penalty. Humility, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. And the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls. But those who would preserve their life stay far from them. It says that that good name, that reputation, that legacy is the most valuable thing in our life. But there are snares and pitfalls that are going to try and prevent you from actually having the life God intends for you. To leave behind 
what you truly desire to, to leave behind. And it gives a, a quick example here. It's going to apply it to parenting and to finances. And I'm just going to read the first one, verse 6. Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, by the way, that's not like a, a guaranteed promise there. Some of you I, I work with people all the time that you have a young adult uh, child who's in their early 20s or late 20s or 18 years old, and you're just like, what happened to this kid? And I want to tell you, don't give up on him. Keep praying, because God's not done with them. And I've seen countless times of their lives transformed. We've seen it here in our church. But it is saying that if you invest in your children early, you'll get to see the reward later on. And that's really at the heart of what I'd like to address today. And here's the big question. If you died today, when it came to your parenting, the way you operated your time, your talents, and your treasures, when it came to the life that you're leading, what would the legacy of your life be? What would it be? Will you pray with me? God, we pause in the busyness of this time of year and just acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in the room with us right now. God, may you take away any words that aren't of you or your scripture. And may we hear your truth today in a way that maybe challenges, encourages us to live differently. We give you this time and we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. I remember when I was about nine or 10 years old, it was the 80s, and all I wanted in my life was a Chicago Bulls basketball. Like, well, that doesn't sound very impressive. You don't understand. Like, there was the king of the NBA at the time, and it was not, his name was not LeBron. His name was Michael Jordan, the only real king, and I wanted to wear his shoes. Yeah, a lot of class for that every time I mention that. I wanted to wear shoes, couldn't afford them, so I thought, next best thing, I'm going to get the basketball. It was made of genuine rubber, and you could actually use it outdoors. It was probably cost 99 cents to make, but I remember at the local hardware store in a small town where it was the only place you could buy it, and they upped the price a little bit, it was about $19.99. So I went to my parents, and I said, hey, I'd love a basketball. This is what I want. Can I have $20? They said, no, you can work for it. And you can earn money, and then when you have $20, you can go to the store, you can buy it, and you can come home. So I, I worked hard. I saved up my money for I don't know how long. I finally got to $20. I went to the local hardware store. It was about a mile down the road back then. I just walked all by myself because that's what we did. It was the 80s. I got to the hardware store. I got the basketball, put it at the cashier's register. I slapped my $20 bill on the table, and they said, I'm sorry, sir. That's not enough money. I was like, what's this sir business? I'm nine years old. And they said, that basketball is $19.99, but with taxes, it's like $23. I was like, what? My parents didn't teach me about this taxation thing, and there's a whole other sermon about the problems in our society with that. But instead, I said, oh, man, what a, I worked so hard. And I, you know, I got all downcast, and I took the ball, and I was going to go put it back on the shelf. And they said, you know what? It's okay. Just take it. And so I said, no, 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 I couldn't possibly do that. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I was nine years old. I was like, sweet. I took the thing home. It's like, mom, look what I got. And she said, did you have enough money to buy it? And I was like, no, they just let me take it. Isn't that awesome? She said, no. And she took the ball. What a rude mom. Come on, kids. 
parents are just the worst. And so that she said, you got to earn the rest of that and go back and give him the money. And so then I had to work for that. And I went back and gave him the rest of the money. And I finally got to have that Chicago Bulls basketball. The truth was, what would have been easier for my mom to do? Here's $20. I don't, don't want to deal with this. And when I came back the second time to go, oh, sweet, a few three or four dollars for free. Great. No, she wanted the, the lesson was more valuable in the long term than just getting what I wanted in the moment, which is kind of how a legacy works, isn't it? My mom had to value the impact she could have in the long time, even though it required more of her as a parent. And the hard work incrementally, day after day, you parents, and even those who aren't, that that takes to invest in others. It was the same thing when my brother and I made water balloons and threw them at the guys working on the second-story chimney on our house. <laughs> she made us go make lemonade and apologize and embarrass ourselves in front of them, which would have been embarrassing for her, too. See, I've, see Ryan, you, you would have done that. That's why you're laughing. I, I remember uh, my own son. Now, those of you who know our family, I've told these stories. I've got one angel. She's amazing. She's a little Jenna. And then we have two wolves that just hoping the Lord can raise into, you know, functional adults. And my oldest one is in fourth grade now. And, you know, God was smiling when he gave us Jake. And he, he incrementally, we have had to learn how to help him learn to become the person God wants him to be. And this amazing thing happened, because I always share, you know, bad stories about my boys because they're funnier. But I had this awesome thing happen in the last week or two. The principal reached out to us just to compliment some of the choices Jake, as a 10-year-old, has been making in fourth grade and just got recognized academically on some stuff. And it was just the coolest moment to see all of this hard work and investment, and we're definitely not out of the woods yet, <laughs> begin to pay off. It's not just with parenting, though. It can happen when it comes to the care of the, our time and our talents and our resources, our wealth, to say, okay, God, as Proverbs 22 is going to demonstrate, if you want to learn to live wisely, you have to begin to implement some of these practices, and you have to be concerned more for the long haul than for the here and now. Like Pastor Darren said at the beginning of the series, like it's much easier to go, I can't afford that thing, but I got this sweet credit card in the mail. It says I can have it for interest-free for a year. Bam, I'll pay it off eventually. And then in the long run, as we'll see in a moment, you live as a slave to that lender and don't have the freedom of choices that God desires for us to have. If you're taking notes, I want to talk about how to leave a legacy of wise living. And that first point that I just mentioned, my mom had to value the legacy more than anything else more than her own time and enjoyment. And that's how legacy works. You have to make your legacy the most valuable thing in your life. Is your good name, your reputation, your legacy the most valuable thing in your life? Or are there things that you would sacrifice at the altar to that? See, and verses 1 through 6 that I read, I won't reread all of it, but it says that that reputation is more valuable than any riches that you can have, anything at all. But verse 5, if you look at verse 5 in Proverbs 22, in the paths of the wicked are snares and pitfalls, but those who would preserve their life stay far from them. There are going to be pitfalls along the way that get you to sell out God's great legacy for your life in order to have pleasure and enjoyment in the moment. 
And we know the obvious examples of this, right? Like in a moment of clicking a link online and giving in to digital pornography, we can give up this godly legacy in our sexual life that maybe God has been protecting from us and it separates us from him and from those we care about. We know in a, in a moment, like to go and, and having too much to drink or a, a little uh, a, a drug that we inhale into our body could make us make a choice that we wouldn't normally have made. And in one moment of pleasure, we could actually sacrifice years of this legacy God wants us to be used for. But today's message is not about those things, actually. It's about something I think even deeper than that, that in a world that lives for the moment, leaving a wise legacy requires valuing the impact of your life. See, the, the point isn't those things that we give into, it's that you are selling out the impact of your life. Do you realize how valuable your life is to God? Of how much he could use every single person in this room. We talk about a lot. Sleeping giants of the faith, waiting to be awakened to the reality of God in their daily lives, is what happens every weekend here. As people wake up to that reality and be transformed. I had a guy come up to me after the Saturday night service, and he showed me this tattoo, and it said legacy on it. And I was like, dude, that's super cool. That's what we were talking about this weekend. He's like, I know. That's because you talked about it in August, too. And I didn't remember that when we started this whole thing of planting these four churches, this has kind of come full circle that I actually gave a message, not on Proverbs 22, but on living a legacy with your life. And, and that was his first weekend here at church. And he had made some poor choices and his life had been a mess. And he tattooed it on his arm so that he would remember it. And he put his kids' names to it. And he's been here every weekend since, bringing his kids with him. He's gone through Rooted. He's given his life to Christ. It's been amazing to see what God has done in this man's life. And it all started with him prioritizing exactly what we're talking about this weekend. He had to value the impact of his life more than the, mo the pleasures of the moment could offer. Here's how this could look to you, maybe as a parent. Let's give an example of that. It, it mentions in verse 6 about parenting. To, in order to actually leave a legacy, of God-honoring legacy in your child's life, you have to actually invest in their life to make those hard choices, to spend time with it. It could look as simple as this. This is my life. Like I'm sitting on the couch and a four-year-old comes up to me for like the 18,000th time and says, Dad, I want to play with you. Can, can we play together? Which sounds awesome, doesn't it? Sounds so cute. But you don't understand, I had this app on my phone that's like really engaging and important to my life and the future of it. And I'm just like, I'd, I'd, I'd love to play with you, four-year-old, but I can't. I got this thing on my phone. Don't judge me because some of you do it too. And then I go, okay, I have in this moment a choice to, am I investing my child's life so inevitably I'll put the phone down and go play with him and hang out and invest in his life? Unless he hasn't cleaned his room, then it's go clean the room first because I ain't playing with you until that happens. Part of that investment in the hard choices. That's what parenting could look like. Some of us may need to go home today and reorient and look at our lives and go, have I been investing? Is my great, if I am a parent, that is my greatest opportunity for a godly legacy. Am I doing verse 6, raising them up in the ways of the Lord? Maybe it's for the business person in the room as we uh, will see some verses that talk about our finances, that you're not going to give prey to the pitfalls that, are, that could easily ensnare you. Instead, you're going to prioritize generosity over personal possessions. And I want to give you 
Two non-Christian examples of this. We know this in the real world. The two wealthiest people on the planet right now are Bill Gates, who started Microsoft, and Jeff Bezos, who started Amazon. uh, Bill Gates is attempting to give away 99% of all of his wealth before he dies. On the other hand, Jeff Bezos is publicly not given a dime to anything. It's two ways of looking at our legacy. One is, I want to enjoy everything I can right in this moment. The other one goes, no, the impact I could make over the long haul in other people's lives is far greater. I would say Bill Gates' example is actually a Christian example, even though that's not why he's doing that. Jesus oriented his life in that way and asked us to do the same. The same as the talented person. I think of Tamika Catchings here locally. She is, you know, has this great talent, I think, the greatest WNBA player of all time, man. And she has had her own. Yeah, you could clap for that. I see a few of you uh, play for the Indiana Fever, won a title, and she also loves the Lord. And my wife got to interview her for the Multiply magazine, and that whole team did a great article on her. It was on the cover of one of the magazines. She actually participated in the Multiply conference this last fall, and it's, she is a social enterprise leader. Instead of using her platform for her own personal gain, she's trying to make an impact in the community. That's what it looks like if you take this stuff to heart to say that I'm not going to give in to the pitfalls and the snares. It, what's greater to me is the long-term legacy. The good name is more desirable than great riches. Number two, if you're taking notes, so you're going to make your legacy the most valuable thing in your life. But that's going to take, you're going to have to actually prioritize becoming a good steward of your life. Now, you know what that word steward means, right? Quick review in case you don't. I give lots of sports and pop culture references. So for the nerds in the room, I have not forgot you. I got my own nerd side, baby. You remember Lord of the Rings? Yeah, you read, I read all the books, read The Hobbit, I read it all, saw all the movies. I even read The Silmarillion. The other, I've, read, I've read all of it, okay, just to confess that in front of you all. But what, who, who, the steward of Gondor, what is he doing in the book series? He is not the king. He's taking the place of the king until the king returns. In movie three, he returns. He doesn't want to give it all up. He wanted to be king. And it's a, to represent, Tolkien was a Christian actually, and it's to represent what, how most of us want to hoard everything that we have. That you and I are called to steward the resources God has entrusted us with, our time, our talents, and our treasures. In order to make a lasting, wise impact with your life, it's going to take prioritizing becoming a good steward of your life because one day the king's going to return. Jesus, and he's going to put the world right as it should be. There will be no more pain and suffering. The old order of things will pass away. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will live eternally with him. And all that will matter is what did we do with what we had been entrusted with? I don't know about you, but that is challenging to me. And it's why these verses in Proverbs 22 are so challenging. Look at verse 7. It says, rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. I don't know when this started, when, uh, like, being a, well, in the Christian mentality that being poor was like godly and being rich was ungodly. That, that's not true at all in Scripture. What is true is greed. It talks a lot about greed. Greed is the problem. And wealth gives more temptations to greed, absolutely. But actually, the Bible isn't encouraging you to be poor. It, it is also not telling you if you become a Christian, you're going to be wealthy either. It's telling you what you do with what you've been entrusted with matters. So stewarding your finances well is important. And you don't want to be a a slave to the lender for the rest of your life. 
All of your choices are dictated then by that credit card debt or the interest you're paying on something. Can I tell you something? I don't know if I've ever shared this. When my wife and I moved here from California to start Mercy Road, uh, we, we had for the last year been saving up our money, we thought, for a house in California. The, the year before that, we had had two incomes. And at the end of a year with two incomes, we had zero dollars in savings. And then we decided, that's a problem. We need to fix this. And then my wife lost her job because the economy tanked and she was working in real estate. And so the next year, with now one income, this young couple, we saved up $20,000 in one year off of one income when we couldn't save any money off of two incomes. I don't share that to pat ourselves on the back. I, I share that to say we have a pretty big spending problem in, in America today, and the church doesn't look very different most of the time. And what Proverbs is trying to do is teach you to live wisely, to take control of that area of your life that can dictate things. We probably would never have been able to move here and plant the church had God not forced us to get serious about our finances and had that $20,000 cushion to move here. And we thought it was for a house in California. Stewarding your resources well is a must. It's the one thing that could prevent you from chasing after what God may be calling you to do. Verse 8, whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield and fury will be broken. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. It says here that the reason that you steward wisely and you're not a slave to the lender is not so that you can just store up this wealth, but to be generous I have learned from people far greater and closer to Jesus than me and challenged in my life in this particular area. I have seen people, guys, in our church family that put everything on hold to advance God's kingdom. They try and make as much money as they possibly can in their daily life so that they could use those resources not for themselves but to go out and make an impact in the lives of others. It's so inspiring. Generosity could be the one thing that God could use you to do to make an impact for all eternity. Verse 10, drive out the mocker and out goes strife, quarrels and insults are ended. One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace, look at this, this is my, one of my favorite verses here, will have the king for a friend. See, if you hear those words, but like I earned that and I've got this, and I don't want to give this up, not just about money, but the time that you have been given, the talents and abilities that you have been given. And you say, but I don't want to use that for God. I've got these other things I want to do. I want to tell you, you don't need to be afraid because you have the king in your corner. And if you go and you fail and it's serving him, he's going to go, don't worry, you can have the 18th floor of my palace, you're good. Because when all is said and done, I don't know about you, but when I'm breathing my last breath on that bed one day, I'm not going to be concerned about the purchases I made or the nice things that I had. I'm going to be concerned about the impact I had in the lives of other people because those things will last for eternity. And that's what I want to focus on in leaving a godly legacy. I believe we would be more generous if we understood we had a king for a friend. That he's got our back no matter what we're facing. We wouldn't have to live in fear all the time of the what could happen or should happen. The third and final point, if you're taking notes, is this. We need to stop living in the fear of failing. 
And I'm just going to read uh, verse 13 here, and then I'm going to break this down. It says this. This might be the weirdest verse in all of Proverbs, if you really think about it. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. <laughs> what? Like, there was no mention of a lion or anything, and there's all of a sudden, there's this one random verse, but the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the public square. And that doesn't even make sense. The sluggard, the lazy person, shouldn't it be the coward? Shouldn't the coward be afraid of the lion in the public square? Why is it the sluggard? And I love what John Piper actually says about this. He says, the point is that the sluggard creates imaginary circumstances to justify not doing his or her work and thus shifts the focus from the vice of his or her laziness to the danger of the lions. Now, you all came out on a almost summer weekend, and I, I just want to honor that because what I'm about to say is going to sound like really blunt and harsh, and please know I love you, and I didn't say this, the Bible said it, so don't get mad at me. What Piper's saying that verse 13 says is the reason we go, oh, I can't go serve the Lord and be a generous person and give my time and talents and treasures, and I can't go advance the kingdom with my life, and I, I can't invest more in my kids' lives and all these, and we make all of these excuses what we're really doing is we're finding anything out there that we could get people to think this is what we're afraid of. But the truth is we don't really want to go through the hard work of having to actually do that. Let me explain. So like with the parenting, it's not that you're fearful of spending time with your child and the things that could occur, but you say, I don't want to go do that thing because the truth is you don't want to have to get up off the couch and go invest the energy to do that. It says that you want to see the kingdom advance and leave a legacy of God in your life, but the truth is sitting at home watching Netflix and playing three hours of video games sounds more appealing to you than actually getting up out of the seat and investing your time and tiring yourself out. Woo! Preaching this weekend, aren't we? I, and as I was getting ready for this, it just it hit me. This is not a fun word to receive. Because it's calling the American church, I think, even though it's talking uh, thousands of years ago in Proverbs in a different capacity, I think we could apply it today to our context to say most people in the American church love to feed me, let me rest, but don't ever require me to do anything that's going to uh, require change and hard work and sacrifice in my life. Now look, some of you, I want to tell you, you can come to this church and you may just need to rest. And that's a good season from you. And you need to hear from the Lord and you need to grow in worship and you're exhausted from things that have been going on in your life. But to the rest of you, some of you are well rested. You've been rested pretty much your whole spiritual life. What would it look like for you to go, I want to leave a wise legacy with my life and I'm going to start investing in the individual things, but I also want to apply this to the life of our church we believe to accomplish what God has set before us in the next year is going to take incredible sacrifice. It's going to require us to value the long-term legacy of God's impact that doesn't revolve around a personality or a person. That's why we're not doing, you know, me on a video screen or any other pastor on a video screen. We believe in the concept of multiplying churches and that the goal shouldn't be just to get them into a small group, but actually disciple them and to send them back out on mission that we should be known more for our sending capacity than our seating 
seating capacity. It's why we're not adding on to this building to reach 3,000 people here. But we had 2,300 people at Easter time, 600 more people than we did the previous Easter. At the same time, in the last four months, we have seen attendance be about the same, maybe slightly above last year. And the biggest issue, I just want to be bluntly honest with you as your pastor, is that we will eventually become like every other church if we're not careful. Where I love to come, and I call that my church home, but I don't invest my life into serving the Lord with other believers on mission. And so that's why we made the choice to require us to get out of our seats and start these churches And so I want to give you some quick updates in the time that I have on these three churches that are happening this fall. And the first one, the Michigan Road location, the renovation is in full swing. We purchased the former ITT building. Uh, Check out this picture of Dan Ma, the head of our volunteer team. Look at that, baby. Volunteers are cutting concrete and digging trenches. That's how we do it. We're scrappy around here. So you don't have to be skilled, but you want to get involved, fill out a connect card, right? Michigan Road will put you on the list. Pastor Luke, the location pastor, will contact you. Mass Avenue, we're excited. Uh, in August, our lease starts on the Athenaeum there, uh, where Coach Check Coffee is, right on, in downtown Indianapolis on Mass Avenue. It's an amazing spot, and we're excited to say we have hired a location pastor. He starts here in early June. They're moving here. Uh, right now, they just got an accepted offer on their house, I believe. And uh, check out, here's the picture of John Jones and his beautiful family. He's got 18 years of ministry experience. A majority of that was working with young adults, a growing ministry in Portland, Oregon, in a place that was very similar to what's happening on Mass Avenue right now. We're really excited for him and his family. Pray for them as they move here. If you're interested in that team, write it on a Connect card. Turn it at the Connect Center. You're like, dude, I don't have a Connect card. Get them at the Connect Center. Third one. Fisher's location. If you could pray for any location, pray for Fisher's, please. It's the one that has a huge initial potential. We have already had worship services over there that over 400 people in one service came to at Wolfie's on Geist. We've already seen people come to Christ. We've already seen multiple people who hadn't been in church in years go to Wolfie's that worship on the water and then start attending here. Maybe that's you here today. And they're waiting for us to get over there. We heard from the owner of Wolfie's uh, that while he's excited for us to come, he, he at the last minute decided to have us meeting there every week wasn't going to work out. And so we were pretty bummed to learn that initially, but we see God's hand all over that because we don't have the location pastor yet. So we need prayer for, to find the location pastor. But these are the four dates, the next, excuse me, four months that we will be meeting over there the first Sunday of every month, June, July, and August. And it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be uh, the whole uh, Blackbird Mission Radio Theology team and uh, Mercy Road and Pub Theology all coming together to putting on these worship events. If you're interested in that, write Fisher's location on your card and turn that in at the Connect Center. It's amazing what God, but pray for a location pastor and a long-term location. That's the biggest need right now. Final thing, we have a unique opportunity right now. Where I can't say this in past years of our church, but what we're finally at that point, this next step over the next couple of years could literally begin to change the course of human history and the way church is done in the state of Indiana. You don't have to believe all that, but I believe it. And so this stuff matters. And we see these next few months as critical as we rally everybody to further God's purposes around the vision that we've shared, because it's all going to start really soon. And so we've entitled our summer teaching series, starts June 8th and 9th, called Rally Cap. 
and it's baseball season, baby. And you remember when Little League, you put that rally cap on, you were sitting on a bench, like eating sunflower seeds the whole game. And then it's like the end of the game, and it's one run down, and all of a sudden you're pressed up against the fence. You turn that hat on inside out, and all of a sudden you're chanting weird things like, We want a pitcher, not a belly itcher. You weren't talking five minutes ago because it's rally time. That's the season we're heading into. And we're going to ask, I'm going to push you to say, Get involved. What would it look like for you to join in this season in the life of our church? God did some great things in the past. That's awesome. But we have this moving into the future, and we have to be more concerned with what's going to happen in the future. And that requires us, like a mom of a little kid, to go, I'm going to prioritize the things that matter, and I'm going to do the hard work it's going to take in order to get there. God has the victory. God's the one who does all of the work. But it takes us being willing to be used by him, and that's not always easy. And so if that's you today, fill out a connect card, right? One of our weekend teams, we need to build those teams to train more people as we start these locations. Then finally, maybe somebody's here today, like that young man last August, the legacy, this is going to be the moment you stop living the legacy that you had been living, which was one that was not honoring to the Lord. And you're going to change that today. Will you pray with me? God, we confess that we're not perfect. God, I think of Jesus. He set the example of prioritizing a legacy in our life. He could have had riches and fame, and he chose to value his legacy more. He had to endure the, the going to the cross. He had to give up everything to resist the, the devil's temptations in his life. And ultimately, not to fear the outcome of going to the cross, Jesus. Thank you for that. And so if there's one person here who has not fully surrendered their life to you and their legacy is not one of you, but today could be their day where that all changes. If that's you in the room, I'm gonna invite you not to be silent about this. We're gonna have every eye closed and head bowed, but if you're in the room and you're like, I want a legacy that honors the Lord, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. We're not gonna make you do anything, but I'm gonna pray something specifically with you. On the count of three, if you want to surrender your full life to live a legacy for Jesus Christ, raise your hand high. One, Jesus loves you. Two, he has a plan for your life. Three, he wants to give you a legacy that makes an impact. I see you over here, man. I know that God knows what's going on in your life. I see the couple over here, over here to my right. Uh, You two here in the middle. And I I just thank you for that. And I don't know what, so you can go ahead and those five people, if I missed anybody, I apologize. You can put your hands down. God, you know what's truly going on in their lives. We don't believe in magic prayers here, but we believe your spirit's real. And you are calling these people into that next step to leave a legacy of spiritual growth in their life. And so pray this with me. On this day, whether for the first time or just in this season, I surrender everything in my life to you. Help me lead a life that lives for the legacy you've entrusted to me. We love you, Jesus. And we give you our time, talents, and treasures. We pray this in your name and all God's family said. Amen.